We're continuing our study of the Gospel of John together. And this morning we will finish John chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 41. John chapter 9, verses 24 through 41, the, uh, centering this chapter around the healing of the man born blind. But we'll pick up uh, in verse 24 where the blind man has been brought before the Pharisees. They're trying to figure out what the, the, the people are thinking. What is going on here? How can he see? And so they brought him to the Pharisees who have been investigating. We'll start at verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remains. So the man born blind is, is there, healed by Jesus. Remember, he put mud on his eyes and, and sent him to the pool of Siloam to be washed. And when he came back to his, to his friends and those who knew him, they were just so astonished. Uh, what's going on? And, and, they, and, and he explained, and they, they took him to the Pharisees. I, I would understand, not for any kind of a trial or anything, but just these are religious leaders. Maybe they can explain how can this be that someone born blind can be healed like this. And the problem with them is to the Pharisees, it was done by Jesus. And so the Pharisees thought they could disprove the miracle. Uh, by showing uh, he wasn't born blind. You remember he called in the parents. Is this your son? Was he born blind? And uh, th they said, this is our son. And he was born blind. And they said, how can he see? We don't know, they said. And we're told they were fearful because it had already been determined anyone who follows Jesus would be excommunicated from the synagogue. And so loving parents that they were, they said, ask him. He's old enough. <laughs> 
so they put it all on him. And, um, but, but they had verified he was born blind, and now he sees. Everyone can tell that. So the Pharisees thought maybe we can, you know, and that's, that's wise. If you're trying to discredit Jesus, the first thing you could do is if you could show this was not an authentic miracle. So they went to the source. To the, to the, and the parents said, no, no, he, he was born blind. And he clearly sees now. Uh, it's up to you to figure out the rest of it. And so we see in verses 24 and 25, so they again called the man who was blind. And, and again, I just noticed this poor fellow is never named in the whole chapter. The man who was born blind. I don't know in heaven if that's his name tag. The man who was born blind. Oh, it's you. Uh, but, but just emphasizing, this, is, this was his character. When people saw him in the street, oh, there's the blind man. Uh, maybe some of you, you know, drive through areas where there's regular, uh, we call them panhandlers or whatever, and you kind of recognize them after a while. And, oh, there's so-and-so. And you might even have a nickname for him. But no one knew. The, it, his, his blindness had, in a sense, dehumanized him. And sometimes that's how we, we look at people. We don't see who they are as a, as a valuable human being created in God's image. But just, there's, there's the blind man. There's the this person. There's the that person. And so they were, again, they called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. When they say, Give God the glory, what they're saying is, Okay, we tried to disprove that a miracle happened. We couldn't. I mean, we brought in the parents. Everybody here who knows him, he's been a, he, everyone around the temple has seen him begging and confirms he was born blind, now he sees. So if they can't disprove the miracle, they say, Give God the glory. Give God the credit for healing you. Because we know this man is a sinner. Now this man refers to Jesus. And again, you'll see this in the Gospels, and frankly, you'll see this in the most conservative uh, Jewish groups. They will not speak the name Jesus. Uh, because he's an apostate heretic, uh, he's not to be named. And so here, they notice they are dismissively, this person, this man, where to the believer, the name of Jesus is precious. Uh, to them, it is not to be spoken. And so they say, give God the glory. Give God the glory. He healed you. And so his answer is simple. You know, they say Jesus is a sinner. And he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. So he, he, he sticks with his story. That's my story, and I'm not changing it. And notice he admits, I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know he's the one who healed me. Um... And, and let me say when he says, I, I don't know if he's a sinner. I, I should explain in the, in the terminology of the Pharisees, this isn't the idea that we're all born sinners. They're, no, they're, it's not that concept. It's the concept of, of sinner is someone who does not keep the law, he, who is not a, a religious and observant Jew, who, who, who disregards and just lives, if you will, spiritually lawlessly. But when we say law, we have to understand the, to the Pharisees that meant all of their traditions. And so, you know, remember they talk about Jesus eats with sinners. You know, and well, you know, they're not just saying everybody's a sinner. They're saying these are people who are not living according to the rabbinic, the Pharisaic traditions. 
You know, they don't fast twice a week. They don't wash their hands in the right way. They don't say the right prayers. You know, there was all those extra biblical laws. If you're not living according to their traditions, you are by definition a sinner. And so they're saying Jesus is a sinner. And they're saying that because in their mind, he broke the Sabbath law. When he uh, made the clay, when he applied it to the man's eyes, when he healed someone bored blind, and they would say he broke the Sabbath. But you look through your Old Testament law, and you're not going to see any of those things outlawed. In other words, these are the traditions of the rabbis, and they're saying he's a sinner because he's not keeping our laws. So in a sense, uh, so there to the, to the again, and it, actually in rabbinic terminology, they have an, a Hebrew phrase they use, am ha'aretz, people of the ground. Uh, people who are, you know, just not serious about the Lord. Sinners. And now they've cast Jesus into this basket of deplorables. Might be another way you could translate that. Verse, then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered to them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? So they, they go back to, to interrogate him some more because the, they're dealing with facts here. The man was born blind, confirmed. He now sees. We can all see that. We've, we've ruled out. The parents say, yes, this is, this is the same man. Okay, we, we can't deny this man was healed and can now see. That's one reality. The other reality is we know Jesus is a sinner, so he can't be the, the cause. Oh, there they're making a wrong assumption. And so they're, try, they're trying to explore. Tell us again, what did he do? You know, they're trying to, let's, let's look over this again. And the man um, insists Jesus did the miracle. What did he do? How did he do it? Uh, is there any evidence of sorcery? Or is there any evidence of why he could be healed? And the man grows impatience. He's already, you know, I've gone over this before. I've already explained all this. Um, and when he says, when he says, um, what, you, you did not listen. In other words, what he's saying is, you weren't paying attention. You were unwilling to listen to the facts. You know, again, so someone may hear something and not be listening. Sometimes you see that when you're, for example, uh, teaching to children. You know. They heard the words, but they weren't listening. I'm not going to ask for a time of testimony from the wives if they've seen the same ailment in their husbands. But it has been recorded in history that that's a, a problem. You heard me, but you weren't listening. And so now he voices, he, he, he erupts in frustration. Why are you so interested in these things? Do you also want to become his disciple? And this guy's kind of, kind of bold. He's, I don't know that this is a, a formal hearing. It's not a Sanhedrin hearing. We're told it's just the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews, was Sadducees and Pharisees. So this seems like this is more of a synagogue. At first it was maybe a synagogue council to try and figure out what happened. Now it's turning into a synagogue interrogation. But so he says to all of these Pharisees who are no friend of Jesus, um, what, do you want to be one of his disciples too? 
And so to use another Hebrew or Jewish term, that's chutzpah. <laughs> he's bold. He's in your face. He's, he's, he's pushing back on them. Oh, you're so interested in Jesus. Um, do you want to follow him too? And notice he says, what, you want to follow him also. There might be a hint. Is he starting to consider himself a disciple? Notice he knows that Jesus has disciples. So he's, he's learned something about Jesus. And maybe he's saying, I want to follow Jesus. It's a little veiled here. It develops. Well, their response to that was rather strong. They reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. Now, he hasn't said yet that he's a disciple of Jesus, or maybe he implied it with that. He's just saying, I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know who he, that much about him. I do know this. I was blind. He made, he made me see. That I know. Kind of reminds, doesn't, again, we keep thinking of the song Amazing Grace through all this, right? I once was blind, but now I see. In the same way, that this is the man said, what I know is, I was blind, I see, Jesus makes the difference, this I know. But they're saying, oh, you're a disciple of Jesus. You're, you're pushing the Jesus message. He's just saying, you know, he didn't, he's, I'm not even, he might say, I wasn't even, I didn't ask for this meeting. <laughs> I'm, you know, what, what's going on? And they claim and said, you may follow Jesus, we follow Moses. Um, you know, that, you can just hear the pride in that. In other words, and Moses, of course, is the one who gave us the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, we follow Moses, who gave us the law. We're his disciples. We're not a disciple of this Jesus. If they were being accurate, they probably should have said, we're disciples of the rabbis. Because they're taking the law of Moses and they're adding to it all of the rabbinic traditions. And so I've mentioned before some of the things, you know, they say, okay, so the, 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 the law of Moses says you shall not work on the Sabbath. And so they developed uh, 39 categories of work so they can help us understand and, and so many other things. And so, for example, the whole hand washing thing, it's, it's all very clear. You're, before you eat, there's a, there's an, you don't just wash your hands and don't think that your, your uh, alcohol-based antiseptic thing counts. <laughs> You know, there's a, you know, if you go into a Jewish restaurant or something and there'll be a little sink there and there's a, there's a canister there and so you, you can properly wash your hands and it's, it's all laid out. This is the right thing to do. That's not in the Bible, but they call it part of the law because they believe in the, the law for, that was, is written and what they call the oral law. That's the traditions. And they say they're of equal authority and they would claim it's kind of like God gave Moses the law. He wrote it down. And then he said, okay, Moses, put down your pen and, um, and let, me, let me fill in some more information. So he, God gave him all those rabbinic traditions were given to Moses orally on Sinai. That's what they say. You won't find that in the Bible. But, but my point is when they say, well, we're followers of Moses, they really mean we're followers of the rabbis. And how they've interpreted Moses. I'll probably, maybe I'll show you tonight in, in our discussion. I'll, if I remember, I will. I may show you a picture of what's called the Talmud. You've heard of that. It's these big volumes. And um, in the center of the page is a, a little quote. 
And all around it are the, the, the teachings of the rabbis about this little quote. Well, this quote is from the Mishnah. And there's six volumes of the Mishnah that, just, that explain Bible passages. So in other words, this little section like this is really this much verse maybe, a, a half a verse, a third of a verse. And, it's, and the rest of it's all what the rabbis say. So the point is, they're not disciples of Moses. They're disciples of the rabbis. Now, he didn't say that. I'm filling in for him. He could have said, what do you mean Moses? You mean you're disciples of the rabbis, but they claim to be his disciples. The disciples, we follow Moses. Jesus has already addressed that. John 5, 46 to me is such an important verse in this context. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. So if you're really a disciple of Moses, Moses said, when I show up, follow me. If you believe Moses, you would believe my word. And so right there is, is such a pronouncement on the teachings of the rabbis. They don't believe Moses. They say they're believing Moses. They say they're, they're followers of Moses. But in fact, they're not because if they were truly believing Moses, they would recognize that he was pointing to Jesus. And so that's the great test. Do you really understand Moses? Then you would receive Jesus. And so, so with a strong statement, um, they say, they rebuke him and say, oh, you're a follower of Jesus. We're followers of Moses. And you could say, well, if you're really a follower of Moses, then you are a follower of Jesus. Well, the man with this it ends up, you know, th- that was there lashed out at him. And so, we, and, and so in verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, notice again, they don't even name him. This, as for this guy, you could almost say, we don't know where he's from. When they say we don't know where he's from, that's not necessarily geography. But in other words, Moses, we know, came, gave us God's word. As for Jesus, we don't know where he's getting his stuff. This might be what, what you're saying. We know Moses came from God. We just don't know about Jesus because we know he did not come from God. He can't be from God because he disagrees with us. Really what they're saying. But how we need to be careful that we should let God's word direct us instead of us trying to direct God's word. So they said, this, we know Moses came from God. As for, G, as for this fellow, we're, no, we don't know. It's, he, didn't, he didn't come from God. Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, why this is marvelous thing. Can't you just hear this guy is really bold. I mean, he is uh, really, you know, instead of oh, deference and fear of them, the parents were like, well, don't, don't ask us. Uh, he, is, he is, I think, probably a little astonished. I wonder if he went in there thinking, this is going to be really amazing. They're going to hear I was born blind and they'll say, wow, that Jesus is something. So often what will happen, I, you know, I think of you know, Martin Luther. We just had the Reformation Sunday. And, and I think when he put up those 95 theses, those 95 statements for debate, he believed that when he called the church to examine their beliefs by Scripture, 
they were going to turn around and say, Martin Luther, you have helped us so much. We now see we got off track. Thank you for helping us go back to the biblical approach. And as he expected, he did not intend to divide the church. He did not intend to start a reformation. He thought the church would, would, would hear and be corrected. This man came thinking these Pharisees are going to be astonished to see. Can you imagine? Someone born blind right here in Jerusalem. But instead, they are attacking him. And so, he, so you see it coming out when he says, well, now, now this is amazing that you don't know where he's from. And yet, you know, you're the, you're the spiritual experts. And you can't even tell me what's going on here. You know, you're the authorities. You're the, you're the rabbis. <laughs> I'm reminded of a time we were visiting a pediatrician 100 years ago when our children were small. And I was asking the pediatrician, why does my daughter keep getting these uh, serious ear infections? What's going on here? Why does she keep getting these infections? And she looked at me and said, why is the question of your profession? <laughs> we... <laughs> We deal with what's in front of us. You deal with why. <laughs> so she put me in my place. And so he, but he came here and said, I know I was made to see. You guys are supposed to know the why. And, and, and you can't figure out where Jesus is from. He says, and he might have said, it's as plain as the nose on your face now that he can see noses. He said, well, how can this be? But the problem is, they're unwilling to see. They're unwilling to recognize that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Messiah, that he's sent from God. Because if Jesus is right, then they've been wrong. And you know, that's an issue every single human being faces. If Jesus is right, then you've been wrong. And you need to turn from sin, receive his salvation, and follow him. If Jesus is right, then I've been wrong. Now, those of us who know Christ as Savior, we joyfully say, exactly. That's exactly what happened. I recognize, boy, I've been on the wrong path. Jesus, thank you. I'll follow you. But that's not where they are. Now, he goes on with his, this, this is amazing. You experts don't even know where he's from. Verse 31 and following. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He lays out an interesting argument for us. He starts on the premise, God doesn't answer the prayers of the wicked. And, and he's right. We know this. They would agree with that. And so he, he argues his point well and says... He, uh, God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. And it's, but he does hear those who worship him or the, you know, those who fear the Lord. And, and again, so the rabbis would probably nod. We know God doesn't listen. They'd probably, yeah, that's right. He doesn't bless their work. He doesn't honor their, answer their prayer because they're living in rebellion to God. I think of that so often, you know, the child that, is in bold, angry rebellion against their, their father and refuses to do everything he asks them to do. Hey, would you do me a favor, uh, uh, put the mower away or whatever it might be? And absolutely not. You're... And then he turns around and says, by the way, can I borrow the keys to the Corvette for tonight? Yeah. 
not going there. <laughs> uh, and so in the same way, if someone just holds their fist up in, in continued defiance and sinful rebellion against God, God's not going to answer their prayer because he's calling them to repentance. Now, if the prayer is a prayer of repentance, oh, Father, I now see. Well, that's a different story. But, but God, he says, doesn't hear the answer of rebellion or the prayer of rebellion. And that, we could, he could have quoted a couple of psalms. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. But verse 18 of chapter 66, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So God hears the godly. But the wicked, those who cling to their sin, God says, your prayers don't register. And so, what's he been saying? We, he starts with the premise, God does not answer the prayers of the wicked. God doesn't bless their works. On the other hand, what's happened? Um, since the world began, no one's ever heard of someone born blind being healed. So what he's saying is, this isn't something, oh, well, yeah, that happens all the time. You know, sometimes you might say, oh, this is amazing. I had this cold for a whole week. I went to the healer, paid him the fee. He put his hands on me, and you know what? The cold's gone. And everyone would say, well, that's what happens with colds. They go away. And so he, but he, you know, as he can't say, you can't say that this healing of the blind, well, that happens all the time. It's never happened. Now, this, is, this is unheard of. So one, God doesn't bless the sinner. What has happened to me is obviously a God thing, is, is kind of the non-theological expression. But, you know, this is obviously of God that I, I born blind, now see. So he's, he's made his argument. Therefore, if God doesn't bless the wicked, if this is obviously the work of God, and Jesus did this work, then obviously... Jesus, and then he goes on, if Jesus were not from God, he couldn't do this. So the man, I think, I think frankly, this whole interrogation, all this line of questioning is helping him form his thinking. You know, sometimes that's exactly what will happen when someone challenges us about our beliefs. It, it, it actually makes us think, well, how does that work? Like, you know, that's for the benefit of sometimes of debate. And matter of fact, in Jewish learning, that goes on all the time. To kind of go back and forth arguing. And through the process, it helps them uh, refine their thinking. And so I think this man's thinking is becoming clearer and clearer. He didn't know. How did this happen? He knows Jesus. He knows who it happened. And they're saying, well, he must be a sinner. And he's thinking, this does not fit. This, is, this has to be God. God doesn't bless the wicked. Therefore, Jesus is of God. He's frankly doing a pretty decent job of arguing his theology to these theologians. And what's their response? Verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us. And they excommunicated him. Again, they default to the old thing. If you can't fight the message, attack the messenger. Right? This is that old ad hominem approach. So they attack him as a person. Again, have you noticed that about 
political commercials and ads, how much of it is attacking the person, whatever they can think of, real or otherwise, instead of saying, well, let's talk reasonably about the issues. No, it's attack the person, attack the person. And so that's what they do. They, can't, they cannot answer his, his argument. They don't say, now, wait a minute, let's go back here. No, they recognize that he's stumped them. And so they attack him. You are a sinner. Where do they get that? He was born with his eyes. He was born blind. And, and we all know that you don't suffer unless you're guilty of sin. Wrong theology. They haven't read the book of Job. Okay? But in other words, just as that all started with the disciples, remember when they saw the man born blind, Lord, whose sin causes? Because we know sin, somebody's sin. Was it the parents or was it the child before it was born? And what did Jesus say? This isn't a sin issue. He could have looked at them and said, it's a dumb issue. What are you asking? But he didn't. <laughs> he said, this isn't a sin issue. It's God's glory is going to be shown in his life. But the rabbis are thinking the same way. Born blind, sin. And you're going to teach us? You are a sinner. We're not going to. And so they expelled him from the synagogue. That's, that's difficult. That's excommunication. And what that means is that could divide him from his family. Uh, it, it would not be uncommon in the most observant of homes to say, we no longer have a son. Uh, I've heard uh, repeated testimonies of uh, someone who was born of devout Orthodox Jewish parents. And when they came to know Christ as Savior, they had a funeral for the child. We no longer have a child because he trusted Christ. And so there's that isolation from family. There's that isolation from friends. That it's going to close. Now that he's no longer blind, he could maybe get a job, but no one will hire him. I mean, he, he has now been thrown into isolation. Why? It's tragically, he's, he's been accused on unbiblical grounds. He's no sinner. That's what Jesus made that clear. The Bible makes clear. Job for example. And so that's a reminder to us. Sometimes we have in our mind, um, everybody says it's true, so we, you know, we judge issues or we judge people on the basis of assumptions that really we may need to think about our Bible. Is that really what the Bible says is going on here? So they were making these judgments on, on unbiblical tradition instead of true biblical thinking. And just a reminder to you and to me, to us, don't be surprised if you are personally attacked for following Christ. And, and again, we hear about this all the time in the social media, right, where, where people are just trying to speak up for Christ and their social media accounts are, are blocked or they, they are, they're just attacked as some kind of a, all kinds of labels. You're a hater, you're a bigot, you're a racist, whatever, because you just quoted the Bible. One of recently, you know, it's kind of resolved, but um, you know, one of the members of parliament in in, in uh, Finland, I think it was, all she did is she posted a verse in the Bible that condemned that 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 spoke out against homosexuality. She didn't say a word; she just posted the verse, and so she faced criminal charges for that. And so, 
what I would say to us is, don't be surprised. It's, too, you know, it's, it's, it's been going on for 2,000 years. If you stand for Christ, um, you may face persecution, and people may falsely accuse you and say all kinds of, of things about you. And, and that read First Peter. That's that's the warning there as well. Well, we then see in, in verses thirty-five to thirty-eight, our, the Lord reaches out to him. Verse 35, 36, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? I like the way this begins. Jesus heard he'd been cast out and he, and he found him, which means he was looking for him. And I see there the compassion of Christ. We may be isolated. We may feel rejected. We may be falsely accused and slandered. But Jesus found him out and brought to him comfort and encouragement. But he didn't really come to comfort him and say, well, don't feel bad. You're not such a bad person. He didn't come and say, oh, they're bad. He came to meet his greatest need. You know, he's, Jesus is constantly offering, I've got water for the true thirst. I've got food for the true hunger. And so Jesus didn't come and say, I'm sorry for your circumstances. He came to say, I came to offer you myself. And that's good, maybe a good reminder to us when we're feeling isolated, when we're feeling rejected, when we're feeling falsely accused or in other ways uh, coming under these kind of pressures, the, the greatest comfort is drawing near to the Lord and to be satisfied in him. And so Jesus comes to him, and again, he could have said, you know, and, and, and it would be the most natural thing, put an arm around his shoulder, I am so sorry for what those rabbis have din, done. And, you know. But instead, he comes to him and he says, do you believe in the Son of God? This is the issue. This is the issue. Do you believe in the Son of God? Now, that's an important label. It's used a number of times in John. But we see how important it is toward the end of the book in John chapter 20, verse 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so Jesus comes to him with the issue. Do you believe in the Son of God? And the man answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And he says, Lord, you just, if I know who you are. You're the healer. You are, you are of God. If you tell me who the Son of God is, I will trust in him. So he has gone through all of this that his heart would be ready to receive the Lord. Maybe many of you could give testimonies like that too, how God brought you through maybe a multi-year process to get you ready to receive the Lord. And this man's blindness was part of it. I wonder if later on he would thank God for this, the struggles of blindness because it brought him to this place. But he says, Lord, you just, you just tell me who the Son of God is and I will believe in him. And Jesus' answer is great. You have both seen him and it is he who's talking with you. You have seen him. That's a new thing. You have... You're, 
Uh, and again, you could maybe, I wonder if you could translate that. You're looking at him. But, but the whole point is, you can see him. And that in itself is wonderful. Kind of reminds me of Fanny Crosby, you know, the great uh, uh, songwriter of the previous generation. A lot of our gospel songs we sing. And she, she often would mention things that indicated, that, that kind of referred um, to her blindness. She was a young child, had an eye infection of sorts, and some guy came along and said he knew how to cure it. And put on some, I think it was a mustard plaster, and blinded her for life. And, um, in, and God, God glorified himself through her blindness in many, many ways. Uh, but but, but you, you can hear hints of that uh, through her songs. Like when she writes, I shall know him, when she, about getting to him, I shall know him by the print of the nail in his hand. You see, blind people so often know you by, oh, I recognize that hand. And she said, I'll know him by his hands. But also when she says in, in her song, Saved by Grace, the, the blind woman says, I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. She used to say, don't pity me. The next thing I see will be the face of Jesus Christ. She looked forward to seeing his face. And so to me, that this comes to mind as I hear Jesus saying, you know, who is, who is the son of God? And he says, you see him. For all his life, the best he could say is, you hear him, you've touched him. No, no, you, you see him and he's talking to you. I love how John gives us these personal encounters. We, we did hear about the feeding of the 5,000. That's amazing. But then the, the woman taken in adultery, or, or now here, the blind man. And how personal and caring and compassionate Jesus is. That's just a, so a reminder of our Lord in all his majesty. He cares for us personally. Personally. And so in his personal care, he comes to him and he says, and again, what his greatest personal offer to us is himself. Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, Lord? Tell me and I'll believe in him. It's he who's talking to you. So there's no question. You've seen him and I'm talking to you right now. I am the Son of God is what he's saying. He healed him. You see him. He's talking to you and teaching you. Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 38 is just a huge passage, verse in this, in this book. How does the, how does, what do we see in 2031? It's, this book is written that you may know he is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing in him, have eternal life. How did the book begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what does the blind man see? What does the blind man see? He said, Lord, I believe. But don't miss how the verse ends. And he worshipped him. That word worship, uh, literally you could translate it, kiss toward. And though it's a, this is what you would do with the, you know, the ancient kings. They would fall before them and like, you know, like as if they were kissing toward their feet. He is bowing before the Lord and said, Lord, I believe. And he worships him because he knows who he is. He is the Lord and he's believing in him. I 
as, As we think of that, this is important to notice. The critics will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, He didn't say those three words, I am God. Before Abraham was, I am, powerful. But also notice this. He is being worshipped by this man. The fact that Jesus receives and welcomes the worship shows that Jesus is God. By way of contrast, John, the apostle who wrote the gospel, wrote also the book of Revelation. If you go towards the end of the book, in chapter 19, I'll read verses 9 to 11. An angel said to him, and is speaking, and so John writes, He said to me, he an angel, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his, worship, at his feet to worship him. So John falls at the feet of this angel. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. An angel in heaven would tell John, don't you dare worship me. You worship God. So that tells us Jesus isn't just a man, and he's not even just an angel. He would not receive and welcome worship if he were not God. For he would know that that's blasphemous. You, you get the sense this angel says, you know, he's up there in heaven. Don't you dare, we're going to get us both in trouble. Stop that. <laughs> Worship is for God. But Jesus doesn't say, we're right here in the shadow of the temple. What are you doing? No, he said, he, he's told him, do you believe in the Son of God? I am the one who's the Son of God. And he says, Lord. I believe, and he worships him, and Jesus receives the worship. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he shows it by his teachings, and he shows it by his words, and by his deeds like this miracle. Well, nearby, apparently there was, he, was, he was being shadowed constantly. Um, they couldn't stalk social media, so they had to stalk by just kind of following Jesus around. And, and, and I'm sure they were always looking for something, a way to catch him. Um, Jesus goes on to say, For judgment I've come into the world that those who do not see may see. And so he says to him, you know, I, I came here. Uh, and I'm, I'm come to, if you bring judgment, judgment in the sense of, I'm come to be a dividing point. So that those who do not see can see. And that those who do not, so, so those who do not see may see, and those who see may be blind. So I've come to bring a dividing point. You who did not see, you, your eyes are now open to who I am. But there are those who have physical sight, but they they're they are rejecting and turning their back on the truth. And so, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, "Are we blind also?" So are you saying we're blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So they've been stalking him, and they're going to grab him on his sword. So are you saying we're blind? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And he said, well, if you were blind like this man was, then there'd be no way to blame you. But you see, in other words, you hold yourself as experts of of the law. You're the disciples of Moses. You're the teachers of the law. You claim to know the truth. 
while you are fighting against it. And so he says, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, we see. We know the truth. And therefore your sin remains. You know, James taught us in James 3, 1. Uh, don't many of you be sinners because those who are, I mean, don't many of you be teachers. Those who are teachers come under double judgment. They held themselves forth as, as, as guides to the lost, but in fact they were the blind leading the blind. Helen Keller, you've heard of her, she said this, to be blind is bad, but worse is to have eyes and not see. That's where these men are. Well, you're not blind and that's your problem. You will not see. You will not see. Matthew Henry, the old Bible commentator of the 1600s, said, none is so blind as those who will not see. And that's where they are. The, the truth, the light is right in front of them. But they won't see it because it doesn't fit their tradition. It doesn't fit their preconceived notions. And so he, he says, I've come, you know, so that's the dividing point. That's the judgment. He's bringing light to the blind. He's bringing the light of the gospel and bringing many to faith. But for those who think they see, he's showing them how blind they really are. Jesus Christ is the dividing line of history. Well, in this chapter, that's been, we've spent a little time here, that we see a wonderful display of God's grace. He healed a blind man. He gained sight for his eyes. And sight for his heart. And frankly, if, he had, he, if you were to bring him before us and say, which was the better sight for you? That you knew Christ, you could see Christ in your heart, or you could see him with your eyes? He said, oh, that I could see him with my heart and know him as my Savior. That's the most precious. We see how willful and stubborn blindness of the religious leaders is. They do not see because they're unwilling to see. One of the questions we have to ask at a time like that is, which are, which are you? Are you the blind man who has seen Christ? Lord, I believe. Or are you allowing religious traditions, family traditions, whatever it may be, to, to say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to buy into that. Um, how important it is to be like this blind man who could say to Jesus, just show me who he is and I'll worship him. That needs to be our heart before the Lord. Lord, open my eyes to, to, to see you, love you, and worship you. And I think we could be challenged by this man. This man was so bold, he was willing to stand up to the, the right there in the temple area, to stand up to these Pharisees and say, uh, I'm willing to, I, I'm, I'm with Christ. And if that means being kicked out of the synagogue and all that that loses, if I lose that and gain Christ, I come out the winner. And so we see his boldness. He was unashamed of Jesus Christ and to speak the truth of what Jesus Christ had done for him. I do have to notice, too, if you, if you follow it along in this chapter, do you see a progress? Dare I use the word? An evolution. Notice in verse 25, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner. So he wasn't even clear on, on who Jesus is. By verse 31, he says, well, God doesn't hear sinners. 
I mean, obviously heard Jesus, so, so by the, in a couple of verses, he's come to the place of saying, no, no, I know he's not a sinner. In fact, he's from God. Verse 38, he must be a man from God, he says. So he's, he's, first he says, I don't know if he's a sinner. Oh, I know he can't be a sinner, or he couldn't do these things. He must be a man from God. And by verse, I mean, that was verse 33, and now verse 38, he worships him as God. So this very testing and challenging him strengthened him and grew him in his understanding and faith. And that's a reminder to us to, to not, don't take the hard times and, and answer them with bitterness or resentment. Recognize them as this is, this is a time to grow. If you, ever, if you ever watched a blacksmith and maybe he, someone brings him a warped uh, horseshoe, uh, and those guys are usually pretty strong, but he doesn't just take it in his hands and start twisting it back into shape. The first thing he's got to do to make, with the, make that horseshoe usable is he's got to put it in the flame. And then he whacks on it with a hammer until it's exactly what it was made to be. And so if God brings you into the furnace, if you feel the hammer has been beating on you, May I say, thank God for his mercy. If you've been wrestling with, will I really follow Christ, then maybe thank God that he's had the mercy to keep knocking on your door and open it to him. If you're a child of God who's facing the opposition of a hostile world, thank God you're not the blind one. And keep your eyes on the Lord. Father, I do pray for each one of us. You know the needs that are in this room and for each one who hears. If any have yet to turn their heart to you in believing faith, Lord, as you open the eyes of the blind men, open their hearts to see Christ. Father, for those of us who perhaps have faced the rejection, the bitter words, the difficult circumstances, grant, Lord, that instead of responding in bitterness, and throwing back the anger, may we instead show the light of Christ. Father, may we be found faithful. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.